3: The Large Nerdron Collider Podcast is a production of iHeartRadio.
4: Hey everybody, welcome to the Large Nerdron Collider Podcast, the podcast that's all about the geeky things happening in the world around us and how very excited we are about them. I'm Ariel Caston, and with me, as always, is the super Jonathan Strickland.
3: Thank you, Ariel. I am only super Jonathan Strickland uh, when it's after hours. Otherwise, I'm mild mannered podcaster, Jonathan Strickland. And That's
4: pretty super to me.
3: Oh uh, you, you This is why we've been friends for 20 years. Alright, well, Ariel, for you, not only do I have a compliment. You are a wonderful friend, and I am very thankful you're here today.
4: Aw, oh, thank you. But
3: I also have a question for you. Okay, Ariel. So we love all geeky things, right? We, we are big in the geekosphere. However, occasionally something that comes out might not quite live up to our expectations of it, right? We might, mm-hmm. we might enjoy it on some level, but we might think, oh, man, I kind of wish that were better. So let's say that you've got this incredible power where you can obliterate some sort of geeky property from existence so that someone can have a fresh go at making a really good version of it without the worry of there being any baggage that's tied to the original. What would you obliterate?
4: So this is a hard question because Other than a couple of movies that I just really don't like and would not want to see again. Like, so many of them were okay or had a really good one and then went downhill with sequels. But I think the one that just did not live up to my expectations that I can think of right now uh, (laughs) that I would want to obliterate and get a fresh start for is League of Extraordinary Gentlemen.
3: That is an excellent suggestion. So you're talking about the film film? I assume. Yes. Or, oh yeah. So, yes. right. Because the film was very, very different from the graphic novel that inspired it. Um, I have issues with the graphic novel as well. I won't get into it, but it has to do with like consent and stuff. But, um, oh, yeah. But, oh, yes. But the movie was like, yes, I agree. Like, it was such an interesting concept. And there are a lot of different authors who have played with uh, incorporating various fictional characters from different different sources into mm-hmm. the same place. Like Kim Newman did it in Anno Dracula and its sequels. And I always enjoy that. I find that it's kind of, it's almost like spot the reference, but I, yeah. I, I do enjoy that. So I agree. That's a good pick.
4: Yeah. I mean, and, and to that extent we could obliterate the graphic novels as well and just have a, a fresh start. You know, I th- I feel like uh universal kind of tried to do it with their dark universe which we could also obliterate as a part of that (laughs) (laughs) function yeah, Um, and start over fresh there because, well, I I don't want to obliterate the originals of those movies. The original mummy and Dracula and all that are fantastic, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Anyhow, what about you?
3: Well, uh, we're going to talk about the series a bit later. Uh, Spoiler alert. But yeah, I would obliterate Highlander, which is a controversial choice because the original film so. yeah the original film had a lot of of things going for it uh has a, an amazing soundtrack by queen the mm-hmm. high concept is tons of fun you had you know Sean Connery chewing up scenery as a uh a, a an egyptian who went to japan to learn to fight and got a sword and then is posing as a Spaniard but played <laughs> by a Scotsman right Sean Connery playing Ramirez and you know, and Clancy Brown as the Kurgan is a phenomenal villain, yes. but, but the way the movie ends doesn't really allow for sequels. And yet we got them. We got a lot of them.
4: I mean, and I will say like, it it was really good for the time having watched some of the original Highlander again recently. It's only for the love of it that it's still any good. It does not hold up.
3: Yeah, no, there's some, so. it's some very very rough pacing issues in that movie. The transitions, the scene transitions are amazing. There's this great scene transition that starts in a parking garage in modern day. And the camera moves up through the parking garage. And when it gets up to the surface level, you're in medieval Scotland. And I'm just like, this is such a clever scene transition. It's you Mm -hmm. don't see that very often. Right. So there's stuff like that that I thought was really cool. But yeah, as a, as a movie it only sort of works. The concept phenomenal. The movie only sort of works. Christopher Lambert does no favors to that film. <laughs> and um, and so I would obliterate that because I think the idea is incredible, but I would want whomever was creating the new version and spoiler alert, we're going to be talking about that, um, but whomever's creating the new version to not have the burden of those earlier films kind of weighing it down.
4: I do think that they'll be a little bit um, fortunate that we have had quite a bit of time pass between the original movie and now so that a new generation of fans can come in unscalded, I suppose.
3: Yeah, I agree. I mean, although it is a, a true shame if you never experienced that Clancy Brown performance because he he killed it as the Kurgan. I mean, great lines like, I got something to say. It's better to
4: burn out than fade Clancy. away. <laughs> Clancy Brown is just fantastic at what he does. A beloved
3: geek idol.
4: Yes. Uh, Another beloved geek idol to me, at least, is the Riddler, like the old Adam West level Riddler.
2: Mm -hmm. Uh,
4: Which leads us into our first story. Yes. Before we come back to the Highlander. (laughs) Yes, we'll Uh, we'll
3: come back to that at the end of the episode. So you have to stay all the way. (laughs)
4: Yes, so now that we're through my very clunky segue, uh, our first story is about the Batman. They just Mm -hmm. came out with some promotional shots, and there's one that's making a little bit of waves, for better or for worse, of the Riddler.
3: Yeah, the Riddler's uh, in these pictures is wearing a mask that includes a, uh, a strap that goes right across the mouth. He's wearing glasses on the outside of the mask, and so, you know, Riddler, in, obviously, in, in most versions, is not typically a masked villain. Or if he is wearing no. a mask, he's wearing, like, the burglar style yes. eye mask. So so this is different from classic renditions of the Riddler. And it's, it's created something of a divide in the fandom.
4: Yeah. Um, I fall on the divide of I'm not a big fan of the look. It, it kind of looks like... Oh, so many thoughts on this. The Riddler is one of my favorite Batman villains. Mm-hmm. And uh, in later years, for instance, in some of the more recent Batman video games, he is super, super devious. He's always been devious, but he's gotten darker as time goes on. Right. As media is wont to do. Um, and so this the the new image feels very like Hannibal lecter where they don't want to let him talk his riddles because that'll cause trouble. His mouth is covered. Um and it just, I don't know. I like that, that suave sort of Riddler above it all persona that the original has. This one is not hitting that for me.
3: I gotcha. Yeah, I i mean, I'm assuming that the Riddler is, is still going to be able to talk in that mask. My worry is that it's going to come across as sort of Bane-ish where mm-hmm. it becomes difficult to understand anything the character is saying. Although... I'm sure they'll be able to like ADR stuff and everything and, and create a much clearer uh, audio for it. But you want to figure out like, how do you balance that? How do you make it where it sounds like the voice is coming from that person, but yet it's not so muffled that everything, you don't want that. Right. Um, but, but to me, the vibe it gives off and a lot of other people have commented on this too, is it reminds me of, um, artist drawings of the Zodiac killer who was active in Mm -hmm. the 1960s in the San Francisco area um, and North California. And uh, that, that story is beyond creepy. There is some overlap in that the Zodiac would send letters to the press that were taunting police. So there's kind of a similar aspect to that between that and the Riddler. Um, But yeah, this is, this seems like a much darker, more homicidal kind of take on the Riddler. And um, I don't know how I feel about, I think the design is interesting. I don't know how I feel about it from the aspect of turning comic or continuing to make comic book movies be sort of silence of of the lambs ish. Mm -hmm.
4: Yeah. Like there have been some very, very dark Batman's some very, very dark comics. I just, I want it to be entertaining and the Zodiac Killer, while definitely a very complex look at a person that I would call disturbed, sure. is not something that I would enjoy watching.
3: Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's kind of similar to what my all my complaints about the Snyder DC films are, right? Like, yeah. it's an interesting idea that might work really well in something that's divorced from the Batman property. And you might even be able to tell a great Batman story using it but not isn't necessarily a Batman story that you or I want to experience.
4: No, it looks like it might fit in with like the Joker. Uh.
3: (laughs) Yeah. And then like, I I'll withhold judgment until I can see this in action. I mean, it could even be that this is one look of the character and not not the the look. Yeah.
4: I'm kind of hoping.
3: Well, something, something that I think is kind of cool. All right. I was not a big fan of the Aquaman movie. I thought it was, mm-hmm. I thought it was entertaining ish. I thought it was way too long, actually, <laughs> but, um, uh, and, and so much stuff was happening on screen that it was starting to get a little like transformers for me. But, <laughs> uh, but something that's really cool is we learned a bit about the Aquaman sequel, uh, which is, is beginning shooting at this moment. But I think the cool thing for me was hearing about how, how involved Jason Momoa has been in the process of crafting that sequel.
4: Yeah, he was so excited after the first one that he wrote the second script and pitched it and they said, sure, we'll treat this and do this script. So that's, I mean, that's just, I, I have learned as, as I, I am evolving through my acting career that people really want collaborators in the creative process. And this is like the height of that. Mm-hmm. And it just means that everybody has such an invested part in the end product. I, Aquaman too, or Aquaman was too long for me as well. But the thing that I could tell is that Jason Momoa was having a good time with it. Or at least that's the way it seemed to me. And when someone is loving what they're doing, I'm going to have fun watching it. At least to some degree. So uh, it wasn't a perfect movie. It was fun. It was one of the brighter DC movies. And I appreciated that.
3: Yeah, no, I agree. And I think I think the fact that they are taking this approach, it speaks highly of everyone involved. I mean, it like you say, it shows a level of investment that is refreshing to see. And uh, you know, I I it, it reminds me of of uh, uh, you know, the stories that we have about the D&D film about the people who have a deep love for the property and they're the ones who are trying to make it happen as opposed to people who say You know, we have rights to this thing, and if we don't make a movie, we're going to lose the rights. So let's just throw something together and get it out there. Like, it's very rare that that results in a good product. So this is.
4: Unless this is the Fantastic Four.
3: Unless (laughs) it's Roger Corman's The Fantastic Four, which we have established (laughs) previously is the best Fantastic Four movie.
4: Have to continue establishing it. Anyhow. Yeah, well, I and, agree. and the MCU
3: I, is going to do a Fantastic Four movie. And I think at that point, we might finally have a contender to replace the Roger Corman one.
4: We'll see. We'll see. Maybe we'll have to wipe out Robert Corman before, first, <laughs> but, which I don't want to do. Um, but let's continue in our upward, uh, uplifting DC news, because the next story is that Dwayne Johnson is not only playing a DC villain, but he's also playing a DC superhero.
3: Yeah, it's this this particular hero has the power of flight, uh, super strong, um, sometimes has fleas. has got four legs, needs to go for a walk a couple times a day. We're talking Crypto.
4: Crypto, who is Superman's puppy dog. Super dog.
3: So this is super puppy dog. (laughs) This is clearly from that era of uh, DC comics that was more lighthearted. You know, they were like. We were just saying that the Batman has like a ton of different variations, right? That there are some versions that are really dark and gritty. Of course, there are other versions like the Adam West era where it was more campy and silly and outlandish. And that's when you had characters like the Joker, where all of their crimes were somehow joke related, that kind of thing. Crypto is obviously a more lighthearted type of character aimed at younger audiences And uh, yeah, DC League of Super Pets will have crypto in it. And and the rock is playing crypto.
4: Well, voicing crypto. I don't think that they're going to give him a cat's treatment and give him like a first. I do not want to see that.
3: I'm kind of hoping that they tell him they're going to do that as a prank (laughs) and shoot like a couple of scenes before letting him down and saying, no, 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 we're just going to put you in the sound Uh booth.
4: (laughs) I mean, I've seen the SNL skit where he plays Bambi, so I'm sure he would be game. Um, but, it, huh, you know, I the like fact- how
3: you did that Bambi and he'd be game.
4: Yes, I totally <laughs> meant to do that. Um, <laughs> but, you know, like the, the fact that he's just playing a voice means that people won't be. It's not like Chris Evans playing the uh, the Human Torch and Captain America. Right. Uh, you know.
3: Yeah, it's so. it's. Or even or even uh, uh, Catherine Hahn playing Dr. Octopus in Into the Spider-Verse, as well as yeah. playing Agatha in uh, WandaVision.
4: Yes, yes. That's a, a pretty good equivalent.
3: Yeah. Well, and Speaking our final. Speaking of Marvel. Yeah, our final story <laughs> this segment is about the the teaser that was released for the upcoming Marvel film, The Eternals. This is a group of characters that I don't know that much about. I was not like I never collected the Eternals comic book series, uh, so I went into watching this teaser without having a lot of preconceptions of what it was I was going to see. Uh, what was your reaction, Ariel?
4: Uh, well, I'll start by saying I'm also not super familiar with the Eternals. Uh, that that is a an echelon of Marvel heroes that I did not delve into, but uh, it felt very. My first impression was, "Huh, this looks like Stargates meets American Gods." Mm. Um, but happy. Um, it looks interesting. It, it's it, it's visually stunning, as Marvel is. Obligated to do pretty much uh, outside of Howard (laughs) the Duck. Um, (laughs) And the actors all seem to do a good job. It looks like there's some humor in there and it looks like there's some drama in there and there's some love in there. So it looks like it'll be a well-rounded story. The problem for me is I still am not sure who all of these characters are other than gods. And more importantly, the trailer says we didn't get involved until now. And I'm not sure what they're getting involved in and why. So there's still not a storyline or a character for me to care about specifically to drive me to see it. I will see it because I like Marvel movies and I'm sure they'll do a good job with it. But yeah, I just, I, I don't know enough yet from this trailer.
3: Yeah. There's not a moment that hooks me like a moment that you would see in like a guardians of the galaxy preview where you go into that like before I ever saw a preview for that movie I was convinced it would never work then I saw the preview and thought now I want to see this this trailer did not quite do that for me like you I have faith in the MCU to create a good movie but this trailer did not like give me a solid idea of what the film's story was how it relates to the rest of the MCU Apart from the fact that they do have a joke at the end where they're talking about the Avengers and the characters from the Avengers who are now gone and who's going to lead them. And one of the characters, Black Knight, as it turns out, says, I could do it. And then everyone laughs at him, which, of course, is a joke for the comic book geeks, because while I don't know the Eternals, I do know Black Knight and Black Knight did. (laughs) He has been part of the Avengers multiple times. Um, And Black Knight's not an Eternal, so that also threw me off. I'm like, okay, well, I'm assuming they're going to encounter Black Knight and he's going to join the group, but he himself is not one of the Eternals. Otherwise, they are doing some pretty massive retconning of Marvel history. Not that that's a big deal. They've done it before, but still.
4: I so that moment was delightful. The other interesting thing to me, and we were chatting about this on Twitter with uh, one of our, our awesome listeners, is that some of the actors in it, exception of Robert Downey Jr. I felt like the and, and Samuel L. Jackson, I felt like the first round of Marvel superheroes mainly had actors who were well known, but were not like
3: top tier stars
4: top-tier stars. And in this one, we've got Angelina Jolie and Selma Hayek. And while I 100% don't blame them for being like, yeah, I want to be a Marvel superhero, isn't that on every actor's bucket list? Like, That's just a, a level of notoriety that it is above. So I guess on one hand, it's it's a cool meta for a, an eternal level superhero. And on the other hand, it 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 took to the trailer for me to go like, oh yeah, they'll fit in this universe. But from what little I've seen, they do okay. Yeah.
3: One, and, and, uh, you know, I'm, uh, I, I don't know enough yet to decide whether or not this film looks like it's going to be fun, like Guards of the Galaxy, if it's going to be, uh, more of a cluster, like the second Avengers movie felt to me. Age of Ultron mm-hmm. felt like it was a mess to me. And then, uh, or, If it's going to be a true mess like the Inhumans, which did not that's that's like a recent MCU effort that just totally failed. Um,
4: Let's hope it's better than that. Let's hope they learn their lesson. Uh, But we better learn our lesson. We better go to break before Tari comes and shakes her fist at us.
3: So, we have more news items that we wanted to talk about. So, rather than doing a a conversation topic the way we typically do in our episodes, we have a few more pieces that we feel we need to discuss. And one of those is the news that the CW has decided not to pick up the Powerpuff Girls live action series based on the existing pilot. However, they are allowing the creators the opportunity to rework and reshoot the pilot and try again.
4: Yeah, so it's it's not a no way, it's a not yet. Um you know, and and a lot of shows, successful shows as the AV Club article suggests, had to rewrite their pilot and turned out to be very successful. Um so I I hope that they Come up with something that's awesome. I I have liked a lot of CW superhero stuff, uh, either at the onset or later on. Uh, Legends of Tomorrow being the 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 example where I liked it better later on than in the uh, initial setup. Um, so I know that CW can do it, but the concept, the gritty twenty something Powerpuff Girls concept, which if all the actors are still attached, is kind of going to have to stick doesn't super grab me. What about you, Jonathan?
3: Yeah, no, I I have not been a fan of the pitch for this show because, I mean, again, I, I, I beat the dead horse a lot, but um, I, I like a series that's about heroes to have people being heroic. And, you know, the reluctant hero is a trope that's really familiar and has been used many times, and I don't necessarily object to it. But the idea of the bitter hero who is uh, jaded and and kind of emotionally damaged because of their heroism and no longer wants to be heroic? I don't find that that interesting anymore. I feel like that's been done so much by so many different creators in different ways that I'm not super eager to see them take a what used to be a lighthearted, goofy superhero series. And then say, well, here's an opportunity for us to make this a story about three damaged young women who are bitter that they didn't have a real childhood because they were forced to be
4: heroes. I mean, I suppose that could still be comedic um, in like sure. a, a dark comedy office sort of a way.
3: Yeah, I mean, um, th- you could still make it humorous, but I, th- to me, just the central idea is one that when I hear it, I'm just I'm just like, oh, OK. I mean, I think it would I be like to, I think it'd be more interesting to have them still be eager to be heroic, but now they're also balancing out everything else that comes along with growing up, right? Like that to me I, would be more interesting.
4: I agree. I agree. I would I think I personally would like to see that more as well. You know, just that their childhood superheroes were successful and and lead to a maybe slightly disillusioned but happy, um, growing up dumb.
3: Well, and, and it, it makes me think of opportunities for comedy like I'm sure that some of our listeners have had this experience where, you know, you go to school, maybe you go to college, maybe you graduate, you're going out, you're getting a job. And then like there's a ton of stuff that life throws at you that you probably weren't totally prepared for because the way the education system works doesn't really cater to the way real life works right? Like maybe you had some classes and things like finance or economics or whatever that kind of gave you an idea. But I think for a lot of people, they get into the real world and they don't know how to cope. To me, the idea of three young women who have been heroes as they were growing up and thus did not have the opportunity to learn quote unquote real life skills that has a potential for being an interesting and funny show where they're totally capable of handling like a prison outbreak or something, but they can't handle like, how do you how do you balance your three gigs you have to work in order to pay the rent?
4: I feel like that is every millennial's current life situation. Um, yeah,
3: <laughs> which is why I think it would work.
4: <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, speaking of things you think will work, do you think the new D&D TV show will work?
3: This is an excellent question, Ariel, because before 4 p.m. today, I did not know there was going to be a D&D <laughs> TV show. I knew there was going to be a D&D movie. We've known about that for about five years, but the television show, this was a news announcement that you and I both missed earlier this year.
4: Yeah, apparently it came out in January, the announcement about it, and I didn't learn about it till Thursday. So, <laughs> um... I'll blame the I'll blame the pandemic. Um, so yeah, so Wizards of the Coast uh, has been promoting their character Drizzt, and as a part of that, are saying that he might be a part of their D and D live action TV show. Yeah. Now,
3: that worries me, but I'll talk about that in a second. Go ahead.
4: <laughs> I will say they also are doing a movie with some pretty big names, but I am assuming just knowing the way those things generally work, that those actors will not also be in the TV show.
3: Yeah. No, I don't think they're going to be necessarily connected apart from the fact that they both come from the same source material. I don't Mm -hmm. think that they will necessarily tie in together in any way. I think it's largely a way to cast a wide net, right? Like some people, yeah, We'll probably go see the movie. Some people watch the show. Some people do both, but I don't think they're counting on that being a, a perfect circle, but more of a Venn diagram.
4: Dritz might be a, I don't know how to pronounce his name. I like D&D, but I'm not that into it. Uh, could be a part of both the movie and TV show though. So there might be a character who carries over. Anyhow, your concerns, John. Oh,
3: well, because Dritz is a drow and mm-hmm. drows in D&D traditionally are depicted as having like ebony skin and this creates some challenges when you're talking about how do you cast and depict the character on screen that ends up not coming across as uh, being racially insensitive, right? Like that's Mm -hmm. what concerns me is that, I mean, you can, you, first of all, I would never go down this road because I just don't know how I would handle it Um, because I don't know that there's any way you could cast the character that would, one, satisfy the D&D fans who have really grown to love this character through, you know, Salvatore's books uh, and two do it in such a way that it doesn't come across as stunt casting or insensitive or a bad fit for the character. It's tough.
4: It is tough. I there is a a short animated an animated short on the polygon article that we um, are referencing, talking about this, and the image on it has Dritz as a uh, like a, a purpley skin. So mm-hmm. I, I think that that has generally been the way of of fantasy properties to deal with that is to try to make the skin color a does not exist in real life skin color. Yeah. So with that the, it's no exception longer a
3: being, uh, community, which had an episode removed because of this, but that yes. was, that was specifically because it was also playing into it mm-hmm. being compared to blackface, which obviously like those sort of quote unquote edgy jokes aren't a good fit period. Yeah. So
4: yeah. Uh, well, it's something the gay community has been adjusting for a while, you know, Uh, should have, should have happened a long time ago. I do think that moving away from natural colors or associated natural colors is probably the best idea at this point. (laughs) Um, Yeah.
3: Yeah. Cause otherwise you do run into those issues, which I mean, like intent is one thing, but you know, it's, it's the impact you have to worry about. So anyway, I don't know. I don't think dritz is showing up in the movie at all. Uh, maybe Dritz will show up in the TV series. We just don't know enough yet. Uh, But I am curious to learn more because, as I said, I was unaware that there even was going to be such a thing until today.
4: Yes, I was unaware until today that Edgar Wright was coming out with a new movie, though I shouldn't have been surprised.
3: Yes, Uh, Last Night in Soho, which appears to have uh, some sort of trippy kind of time travel aspect to it. Uh, the trailer shows a young woman who, uh, appears to travel back in some form back to the 1960s and appears to be inhabiting the body of a different woman. And, um, you know, you don't get a whole, a, a real sense of what the movie is about. It's more like ideas and images is very stylized, as Edgar Wright movies tend to be. And it to me, what it reminds me of most is the works of uh, Dario Argento, who is an Italian filmmaker who specialized in, a, in a, a genre called giallo, which that's Italian for yellow. And these- I love these, <laughs> not jello, giallo. Not giallo, giallo, or giallo, if you want to be, if you really want to draw it out. But it's, it's a, a genre that's marked by uh, films that are really big on suspense. They tend to be detective stories or thrillers. Uh, some of them are horror movies. They tend to be more psychological horror than supernatural horror, though there's some of that as well. So examples of that, like Suspiria is an example of it, the 1977 Suspiria. The remake of Suspiria is amazing, but doesn't really fall into the giallo genre. And then uh, uh, Tenebrae and tons of others. And if you've seen any of that cinema, you know, Dario Agenda's work, and you see the trailer for Last Night in Soho, the similarities will leap out at you. You will immediately see the inspiration. And if you aren't familiar with Jalo and the trailer looks good, it's a great way to kind of introduce you to a genre of cinema that a lot of Americans probably aren't that familiar with.
4: Yeah, t- to me, not being very familiar with it myself, it feels very Twilight Sony. So
3: yeah, that's that's a good that's a good comparison because it does tend to have like this sort of dreamlike quality to a lot of the work. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I said, it has to do a lot with tension and and um, thrills and that sort of thing. Um, I think that they are really interesting movies. They, I, I don't know that you would necessarily. <laughs> refer to all of them as being good, but they are captivating.
4: I think I'm going to give it a shot, even if I have to watch it partially through.
3: Well, you know what, Ariel? We're we're running out of time, but I definitely want to talk about tardigrades and uh, shooting them out of a gun.
4: <laughs> sure. I saw this headline and I said, well, one, I is this real? Uh, and two, of course it is. Um, so scientists... They just legit did put tardigrades in capsules and shoot them out of a gun to see how much force they could survive.
3: Yeah. And a tardigrade is a microscopic organism and um, they are sometimes called water bears. They look like little pudgy bears when you look at them through a microscope and Mm -hmm. they are incredibly hardy. They can survive at very low and very high temperatures they can go into hibernation or cryostasis, essentially, for years and then recover. Uh, they are phenomenal, and so the idea was that let's find out if they could survive, say, the impact of a spacecraft or maybe an asteroid hitting a surface like the moon or the Earth. Because one of the one of the many theories about how life might have propagated throughout the universe, which we still don't know, because we only know of one planet that definitely has life on it, and we're there. But anyway, the the mm-hmm. hypothesis is that organisms like tardigrades might have been on, you know, uh, meteors or whatever that then collide with a planet, and then the tardigrades survive, and then life begins to propagate on that planet. But um, as it turns out, the, the research appears to put a nix on that hypothesis.
4: Yes, so they can, tardigrades can survive at about 2,000 miles per hour um, before they turn to goo.
3: Yeah, when they (laughs) collide with something. And as it turns out, as phenomenal as that is, that's still less force than they would would experience if they were on, say, a spacecraft colliding with the moon or a meteor Mm -hmm. colliding with a planet's surface.
4: Yes. According to Business Insider, that kind of impact is the equivalent of 40,000 people standing on your back at once. Please, no. No, I don't don't. like the idea of one person standing on my back even. uh,
3: (laughs) Yeah, I don't think I would uh, really like that that type of massage, you know, just not for me. I mean, you know, no, no, no shade on anyone who that's your thing. It's just not my thing.
4: I mean, I've been a part of a humid pyramid, so that kind of counts as the same thing, but <laughs> still not the most pleasant experience.
3: No. And there, even there, weight is distributed somewhat. Well, yeah, this this wraps up our, our news items for the main part. We know we're running a little long on this one, but it'll be worth it. Trust us. Come back after the break and enjoy our magical, mystical mashup.
5: Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply.
3: Okay, so Ariel, um, we have a couple of stories that kind of lead into the properties we decided to mash up today. One of those was the one that I alluded to earlier that there's going to be a new version of Highlander. We don't know. If it's going to be a total reboot that ignores everything that leads up to it, or if it's somehow going to try and fit into some existing Highlander lore. But the word is, according to Deadline anyway, that Henry Cavill is going to be playing the main character in this new Highlander film. We don't know if it'll be Connor McLeod from the original or if it'll be a new character. That's all we know, really.
4: According to you, I'm guessing you want it to be a new character, new story. Nothing due into the original.
3: I mean, it'll have to be a Highlander or else the title makes no sense.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, true. Um, I mean, he Henry Cavill on his Instagram said that he's brushing up on his Scottish lore. So possibly Connor McLeod. I think he's a good person to play the character. Uh, he's not Scottish. They could also pick a really good Scottish actor, uh, like the, the dude who is an outlander or something.
3: Well, yeah. Well, Christopher Lambert was not Scottish either. <laughs> no, the one Scottish actor they had was playing an Egyptian. So <laughs> like I said, the, yeah. the original Highlander was all sorts of jacked up, but yeah, I, uh, we have the director of, of John Wick, who is going to be directing this and Carrie Williamson wrote the script for it. But, yeah, I don't know any other details about the story or, like, how, if at all, it ties into the older, the, you know, the pre-existing movies and TV series even.
4: Yeah, I, you know, I think uh, the director, Sean Wick, could do a good job with this property.
3: Agreed. And what's our other property we're going to be using in our mashup?
4: Uh Willy Wonka because we're getting yet another origin film. This time it's in concordance with the Ronald Dahl household and uh it's starring Timothy Chalamet who apparently beat out Tom Holland for the role. I feel like this is going to be closer to the original one with Gene Wilder partially because they say there's going to be singing and dancing in it. Um that Wonka will be doing that, but it's going to have to be awfully originy because Timothy Chalamet is a youngin.
3: Yeah. So I, I have thoughts about prequels in general, and most of the time I think of them as being completely unnecessary and, uh, at best they are not distracting (laughs) (laughs) and at worst they are terrible. So, but I mean, I, I shouldn't, I shouldn't immediately judge something. I haven't seen anything about it. Don't know if it's going to come out as being, you know, great or if it's going to come out as being uh, a total train wreck. I have no idea, so I shouldn't prejudge, but I don't get a great feeling from it. I, I Maybe it's just because I feel like Willy Wonka is one of those characters where part of the appeal is the mystery.
4: I, I would have to agree there. That being said, Paul King is working on it. He's directing it and he did Paddington 2, which was another movie I did not think would work, but absolutely was delighted by
3: it's one of those movies that I, I keep hearing people say is like legitimately one of the best movies they've seen. Like it was one of the best movies they saw that year. I still haven't seen it. And I feel like I need to because of just the praise I've heard for it.
4: I, I mean, it's definitely a kid's movie, but I think you would enjoy it. I, it was, it happened to be on TV when I turned it on and I ended up watching the entire thing. It was delightful. Uh, just just enough adult humor in there uh, to keep you interested.
3: That's fair. So we are going to mash up Highlander and we're going to mash up uh, Willy Wonka or Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. I guess I didn't even mention what the concept of Highlander is, so I should probably do that just in case you're not familiar. The concept behind Highlander is that there are among us These immortals who are in a contest in which the last surviving immortal will win the prize, which for most of the duration of the film goes unexplained. Like, you don't know what the prize is. You just know everybody wants it. And the way that the immortals win the contest is they have to lop the heads off of other immortals they come in contact with, and then they kind of absorb the power of the immortal they've just decapitated. And uh, the main the main um, antagonism in the film uh, is between Connor McLeod, who is the Highlander of the title, and uh, Clancy Brown's character, the Kurgan, who is this uh, ancient immortal from the steppes of Russia who has just laid waste through the ranks of these immortals. And it's coming down to the final few immortals. And the question is, who's going to win the prize. That's the concept behind Highlander.
4: Yes. Um, It sounds like a big old mess. And that's what my mashup is as well.
3: (laughs) Mine too. (laughs) So that we have in common for sure.
4: Excellent. Um, I'm going to go first.
3: Okay, Ariel, Uh, you go first.
4: My, and uh, content warning, I guess there's child endangerment, just like in Willy Wonka. And, you know, Highlander's pretty violent. So Uh, There's that. Also, my title has nothing to do with the actual mashup, but uh, enjoy it anyhow. It's called You Take the Highlander, I'll Take the Low Road. (laughs) (laughs) I love it already. So Highlanders aren't supposed to have children, but Connor McCloud did. After absorbing the Kurgan's power, he became presumably mortal and had a son. However, he still wasn't all right. And the older Connor's son, William, grew, the more apparent that became. His father becoming mortal meant that he was now incapable of housing all the energy of the previous immortals and was going mad, plagued by their memories and wishes. William decided to do something about it. Taking on the pseudonym Willy Wonka for fear that his plans might become known and he might become a target by any other immortals that pop up in the future, he scoured the globe for anyone who would be able to safely remove and contain the maddening power from his father. He found such knowledge in a hidden community of well skilled beings called the Oompa Loompas. You see, long, long ago, the Oompa Loompas had a hand in creating the quickening. That happens when you kill a Highlander, it's an immense amount of power, and they had regretted it ever since. The Immortals' battles had caused so much carnage and madness in the world, and the Oompa Loompas wanted to fix what they had started. They advised Willie to build a fortress, giant and mysterious, and fill it with very specific sets of instruments and also with candy. And also instruments that made candy, which the Oompa Loompas needed. The sugar fueled their rituals to harness and stop the quickening power, and it tasted good. (laughs) Willie did as instructed, labeling the fortress the Willy Wonka Candy Factory so as not to make locals suspicious. I mean, who's suspicious of candy, right? Then he invited his father for a sneak peek When Connor McCloud entered the building, he was led to the decontamination chamber, which actually turned out to be a containment chamber. The Oompa Loompas filled it with soda and pop rocks as to create an energy wave that would disrupt the deceased immortal's powers inhabiting McCloud. They then took him to the juicing room where they squeezed the former immortals out of Connor. However, this created a mega quickening surge and all the power in the factory went out. When the power came back on, the Oompa said that they had captured the power, siphoned it into the sphering room, and turned it into foreverlasting gobstoppers. The deceased immortals would no longer be a problem. They would put them in a vault, and they'd be locked away forever. Connor felt better, and Willie, slash William, was made guardian of the fortress, along with the Oompas, to make sure the immortals never escaped or were released or anything like that. And everything seemed fine for a while. Eventually, William and the Oompa Loompas... Open the factory for tours to children because it's a candy factory and the townsfolk are like, why is this huge factory just sitting here empty? It's been abandoned for years. Uh, And so that's what they did. However, upon the entry of the first children into Willy Wonka's chocolate factory, William learned a dark truth. The Immortals had not been captured by the Oompa Loompas into foreverlasting lasting gobstoppers. The Umpas siphoned the power of the Immortals into themselves and were trying to kill off the children one by one to use their youthfulness to keep a harness on the Immortals' power that they were housing. Would Willie be able to stop the Oompa Loompas before they endangered all the children? Would he be able to keep the locals from realizing what happened? Would he be able to do all this without releasing the Immortals' power back into the world? To be continued.
3: Unlike Highlander, that is set up for a sequel. Yes. Okay. Well, mine is called Charlie McLeod and the Oompa Loompas. (laughs) Charlie McLeod has a problem. His family is desperately poor. And it doesn't help that both sets of Charlie's grandparents are bedridden. But Charlie has a dream. And that dream is to one day visit the amazing chocolate factory created by the famous Willy Wonka. Wonka has been making chocolate there for as long as anyone can remember. Even Grandpa Joe, who is like a billion years old, can't remember a time when Wonka wasn't there. It's almost like Wonka's immortal. Wink, wink. The camera pans up from inside the McLeod's small home, passing through the roof as if it's nothing, and ends up on a glade of trees in Oompa Loompa Land. There, we see a figure in silhouette, a thin figure, with a top hat, carrying a cane. The figure freezes as if it has sensed something, and then you hear the voice. Ramirez, says the voice. (laughs) It's low and rough, and out from the shadows steps a hulking figure carrying an enormous broadsword. I don't go by that anymore, Kurgan, says the silhouetted figure, who tumbles into the light. My name is Wonka. He unsheathes a sword from his cane. What follows is a brutal sword fight, with Kurgan using brute strength, and Wonka relying on his lightning reflexes. The fight goes back and forth, with Kurgan coming close to overpowering Wonka, when suddenly a horde of Oompa Loompas rush to Wonka's assistant, assistants, swarming the Kurgan. Another time, Wonka! Yells the Kurgan. Cue an amazing version of the Candyman can, as covered by Queen. (laughs) Sometime later, the mysterious Wonka releases information. There will be a contest. Hidden inside five Wonka bars will be golden tickets. The finders of those tickets will get to visit the Wonka factory, with the ultimate winner being awarded the prize. And so the world goes bananas over finding those tickets. Ultimately, the five tickets find their way to five people, four adults and little Charlie McLeod. The adults include Iman Fasil, Sundar Castagir, Felicia Martins, and Anne Devlin. And if you get all those references, I'm really impressed. (laughs) Now, I'm skipping over a lot here, but we know Charlie is led to believe his dreams are not going to be realized, but then he finds the ticket, and then Grandpa Joe miraculously figures out how to walk again, thus making us all think he's been essentially a lazy faker for years. But anyway, they sing a song, and it's all okay, and they go to the factory. Oh. Except before they do all that, Charlie has to run home when he finds the ticket and he encounters a strange hulking man. And upon seeing him, Charlie feels this sort of weird energy and he kind of feels a little sick to his stomach and the man introduces himself as Kurgan Slugworth and he wants Charlie to help him undermine Wonka but Charlie just runs home without listening to the offer. Okay, when the winners... All arrive at Wonka's factory, there's a weird thing that happens. Uh, it was a clear day when they got there, but suddenly as they approach each other, clouds appear and the sound of thunder fills the air and all the people who found tickets, they all feel a little off, you know, almost like they're a little sick. But of course, they're about to go into a candy factory, so they just hide that fact from their families because ain't no one going to stop them going into that candy factory. Uh, some of the adults... Uh, the four adults, they seem to know each other and they are really uneasy, <laughs> but Charlie's just kind of focused on the fact that they're he's about to go into the chocolate factory, and then Wonka comes out and the feeling hits them again. It's it's really strong. I mean, Wonka is strong. So Wonka eyes and uh, take in the, the five winners, and he invites them in, and in a series of humorous and absurd speeches he implies that one of these five winners will walk away with a prize of great value, but that to do this, they all must be observant and keep their minds open. So they go inside the factory and they see some amazing things, including a room filled with candy swords. And each of the ticket finders gets to pick out a candy sword. And Charlie McLeod is drawn to a glorious candy katana. And then all (laughs) heck breaks loose. Because just as the winners have picked out their weapons, Kurgan Slugworth appears, and the four other winners all seem like they are guilty about something, like maybe they've been working with Kurgan Slugworth, but Charlie, who turned down Slugworth's offer, is just confused. And then Slugworth has this massive fight with all the ticket finders, and one after another, pop, 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 he takes off their heads. Thunk goes Facil's noggin. Bonk goes Castagir. Annie's head flies down the trash chute, and Felicia soon follows suit. Then the Oompa Loompas decide they have to sing a song. (coughs) Oompa Loompa Doo. -doo. I've got another puzzle for you Oompa Loompa Doopadidee If you're immortal, you'll listen to me What do you get when they cut off your head About a foot shorter and totally dead we think it's sick how they take your quick. That immortal dude is such a dick. I don't like the Kurgan. Oompa loompa dupa di da. If you're Ramirez, you will go far. Oompa loompa dupa di do. But the Kurgan still will kill you. Charlie, who had tried desperately. protect the others (laughs) hold all comments to the end (laughs) charlie who had tried desperately to protect the others despite the fact that they were all obviously really rotten and terrible is distraught and at that point wonka himself steps forward run home charlie says wonka run home and don't stop along the way but charlie stays there he refuses to abandon wonka so wonka and kurgan fight again And in a quiet moment in the fight, Wonka sees that Charlie has remained behind and he says, My boy! You've won! And then Wonka, with a look of acceptance, lowers his blade, allowing Kurgan to lop off his head, and plop, it goes right into the chocolate river. Charlie, shocked, immediately rushes the Kurgan, and he attacks in a flurry with a spectacular display of speed and skill. The candy coating of the katana shatters and reveals that underneath was, you know, an actual katana. And the Kurgan, <laughs> caught off guard and exhausted by his earliest fights, finds himself on the defensive, and in a crazy spinning move, Charlie decapitates the Kurgan. Uh, the Kurgan's body slumps over, the Oompa Loompas start to clear away the carnage, and Charlie's body is lifted up into the air as incredible energy runs through it, shattering glass, including the elevator, and making lights explode. And when he touches down, he discovers that he has, in fact, won the prize. A lifetime supply of chocolate. And since he's immortal, that's a really long time. The end.
4: That was amazing. Wow.
3: Yeah. I I mean, I I apologize for my singing. I'm not in good voice today, but.
4: (laughs) I thought it was beautiful, Jonathan. And also, you should totally, like, TM that so that they can't steal that for the screen.
3: for I'm pretty you know, I'm pretty know, confident America that maybe. they're not going to go down that direction but I appreciate the input the
4: Highlander movie. <laughs> I mean they might they might these are two new things happening they might team up also <laughs> mm-hmm. it's nice to have a second child Highlander so you know there's yeah
3: that. well you know what when I first wrote more. this when I started writing the first draft I I originally had it with the uh, the kids from Willy Wonka, so like Augustus Gloop and Violet Beauregard and, you know, uh, Veruca Salt and all of them. But as I was writing, I thought, I don't I don't want to decapitate kids. So <laughs> I so I went back and changed it.
4: <laughs> I, I get that. I might I, I might have toned down my my mess of a mashup as well a little bit.
3: Yeah, but also, uh, I'm very curious to hear we, what our listeners think.
4: <laughs> me, too. Me too. I'm sure all of them will say that they really want to hear a queen cover of the Candyman can. (laughs)
3: Yes, yes, that would be spectacular. So if you have ideas about how a mashup between Willy Wonka and Highlander would go and you want to share it with us, you can do so by sending us an email, the email address is L N C at I But there are lots of other ways they can get in touch with us too. How are, how are, how, how do they do that?
4: Well, they do that by doing to the Twitter's spear. Uh, yeah, you can go to Twitter and you can tweet us at LNC underscore podcast. You can also go to Facebook or Instagram. We are at large nerd on collider. Um, also you can put a comment on our website, uh, will eventually see that. That's where we'll put all of our show notes www.larchundertrunkletter.com if you want to look into anything more that we've talked about.
3: Yes. And um yeah, I guess that's it for us. Oh, also, if you enjoy the show, make sure you subscribe to it, make sure you, you know, leave a, a review wherever it is you you listen to us. Uh tell some friends about it. And um again, like shout out if there are things that you think we should talk about in the Geekosphere or mashups that you would love for us to do, let us know. We are eager to hear from you.
4: Yes. And until next time, I am Ariel. There's only one in.
3: Yes. And I am Jonathan. Don't lose your head, Strickland.